Hello and welcome to today's Born Human podcast. As ever, it's my privilege to welcome you aboard and it's also my privilege today to introduce my guest, Mr. Alex Bailey. Alex is someone that I've come to know personally in the last couple of years and it's fair to say that his journey to fatherhood has been nothing short of miraculous. Today, we look at male infertility, we look at the miracles of modern science and how incredible that can be for families and the lives it can change. But also we explore how long and difficult and challenging those journeys can sometimes be. Having children these days can be exceptionally complicated for a lot of families. And I think it's important that these conversations happen to be able to share what it feels like. So I'm very grateful to Alex today and feel privileged to hear his story. And I hope that for some of you this will bring hope, this will bring inspiration it will bring positivity to a subject that is otherwise very very difficult so without further ado mr alex hello and welcome to the born human podcast today i am very very lucky to be joined by alex bailey who is someone that I actually know personally and I've come to meet in a very unusual circumstance of fatherhood. Um, we actually met in hospital, weirdly enough. The day my wife was taken in uh, to hospital for a C-section, we were sat opposite Alex and his wife Chloe uh, in the hospital. And a friend of ours, actually, we had a mutual friend who said, oh, they're, Alex and Chloe are in hospital, you might meet them. We thought, oh, that's crazy, that will never happen. But as soon as we were taken in, they put us in a bed opposite a bearded man with loads of tattoos. And I thought, there's only one bearded man likely to be in this hospital with loads of tattoos. Um, and so we met, and our children were both born on the same day. So quite a cool way to meet. But in meeting Alex and knowing Alex, what I've found is that actually he's got a really interesting story about how he got there. And it's not been an easy ride to become a father and I thought that was really a great opportunity to share that with others and kind of explore that a little bit with you guys today so welcome Alex thank you for coming and joining us today thanks Andy it's nice to have you on so um how old were you when you first decided you wanted kids like that was quite a long time ago for you guys right it was a long time it would have been uh probably early 30s I mean, Chloe, I think with the, 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 the ticking, uh, ticking body clock, she probably, you know, when she hit 30, she probably would have wanted children. I was all about, you know, I need to set up my home, have a house, have the security. Because I thought initially to have children, you need all that in place before you can have a child, which mm. obviously um, learned a lot from that. So I, for me, probably it was mid-30s. Yeah. Uh, I thought get married first, then start a family. Be a yeah. bit traditional like that. Um, but uh, we actually started, uh, as I said, early 30s, had about three years of trying, yeah. which felt like an eternity. Didn't have any success there at all. So I went to go and see the doctor, a specialist. Yeah. Did all the blood tests um, on Chloe. And I, as, a, as a man, I presumed it would be Chloe who would yeah. have any sort of um, problems while we hadn't fallen pregnant so far. Yeah. Um, then I went in and, uh, yeah, and then we got... Uh, push towards well move towards IVF uh, which was another five years so our whole journey from start to finish was about eight years wow um, that's pretty intense most of my 30s was spent <clears throat> trying for a child yeah 
Um, basically, uh, I had a phone call once we had all the tests. We were living in Brighton <laughs> at the time. Uh, had a phone call from the doctor once they did the tests. Um, and I clearly remember that phone call. I was at work at the time. And the doctor phoned me up and her very words were, uh, I've got some bad news for Mr. Bailey. I've never seen anything like it before, which is not really the sort of thing you want to hear from a professional doctor. Yeah. Uh, cut a long story short, I was diagnosed with a condition called azuspermia, which uh, I later found out basically means that you have a, a zero sperm in your semen, which basically means a very, very small chance he would ever have children. Right. So fate would have it, living in Brighton, uh, we got put through to a private clinic, clinic to start IVF. Um, turns out we couldn't have IVF purely because of my situation, so we had to have a, a, a procedure called ICSI, which is basically where the, um, uh, the sperm is directly put into the egg in a Petri dish. Whereas normally IVF, it all happens in a Petri dish. Right. ICSI basically means that the egg is fertilized, uh, is injected with the sperm. So it, it's very tightly managed. Right. And that can only happen with, with the condition because basically, because I have zero sperm count, the sperm can't reach the egg. Basically nothing normal wouldn't, can happen. Yeah. Going back to where we were in Brighton, um, the clinic that we were using um, were working closely with a urologist called Mr. John Ramsey, who, if anybody does their research, is a, um, is a genius in his field where he really focuses on male fertility. So as I said, if we hadn't been in Brighton, we would have never even had this opportunity. Yeah. It would have just been a line drawn under it, as in you can't have children. Get used to not being parents. Can't have, yeah, yeah. yeah this, and, and I've spoken to many people that have gone through IVF or have failed trying, and they they're not even aware of this. So yeah, yeah Mr. John Ramsey put me on a course of medication, um, did all tests on me, um, and I was put on a form of hormonal medication. Yeah, um, he kind of tinkered with it the first time; it didn't work tweaked the medication slightly and I almost went from a zero count to a fully how should I say functional male wow where my sperm count went from zero to now you've got a chance they still the condition of them still wasn't good enough to naturally conceive we still need that help yeah but if we'd not lived at that postcode lived in Brighton been to that clinic they were working with Mr. John Ramsey this would never have happened. So, so this treatment isn't available? Widely. It's not available, no, because it's obviously quite costly um, to the <laughs> NHS. It's not available on the NHS. A lot of people uh, within that world don't agree with it. Yeah. But he'd had plenty of proven cases. It wasn't not dangerous at all. Mm. It's just basically tinkering with male hormone levels and looking at your health, your diet, how you live your life. Yeah. You know, I've later gone on and learned that, you know, that, uh, from what I gather, the the male sperm count has dropped by 60% in the last 40 years. Wow. Which is phenomenal. And that's purely through the way that we live our lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I saw something about Rod Gilbert's doing Yeah, that, that's where yeah. it all came from. And unfortunately, I learned a lot of this afterwards. You yeah. Know, I've learned it years down the line. But, you know, unfortunately, the thing is when you go towards IVF or ICSI or whatever treatment you're having, a lot of these clinics are run by gynecologists there's no focus for men or male fertility at all. So you're literally just a passenger on this journey. Yeah. 
it's all drummed towards you know um, female care yeah. and you know even even aftercare for women as well there's nothing for a male whatsoever you're you're literally put in a chair and listen to everything that's going to go on there's no focus on me there no, no one point was i think i was i even given any help or nobody put a card in my hand say speak to this psychologist or counsellor it was all drummed towards Chloe wow even though did they know it? they knew at this point they knew, was... knew what the situation was with, with myself <clears throat> but it's just they're not trained to deal with it yeah and with IVF and you know it's, it's you know 50 odd years it's all been drummed towards gynaecologists and female yeah, care, nothing towards male care whatsoever. Isn't it weird? Because I think with the whole, my experience of postnatal depression, and, and what I've learned on that journey is that you know it happens to one in ten men, and you know doing the work I've done with dads in mind, that, and it's amazing really how much of that exists. You know, like I, my own experience of going into a midwife. I remember being at kind of twenty weeks and being ignored by a midwife two or three times, and those kind of things are. Um, so commonplace and yet there's a whole education piece I suppose around around care workers and um, professionals to be able to kind of treat you as a family right and treat you as a couple in the first instance and potentially if you've got children then all of you but it just seems crazy and I guess partly you know we were talking earlier about this whole masculinity thing and um, before we came on but there's that whole sort of sense of like maybe the world's still ignoring the fact that if we just pretend it isn't happening, then it isn't kind of thing. And, you're, you know, there isn't a problem for you or whatever. But in the same way as we're here now, the whole point of this is that there's a an open conversation that says it does happen. It can be fixed. It can work. And it can work out. Um, and that's not... It doesn't always have to be the end of a, end of a situation, no. you know. I think but, also the tricky thing with, with, with my condition, as I said, it's something that I've looked at you know starting to look at even more now once I'm sort of coming to terms with everything that happened is that you know something like azospermia only affects one percent of the male population right yeah but you think how many people is that how, how many of these guys have been told this news which immediately when you get that news it it rips away your masculinity yeah it's like what what do you mean there's nothing there yeah. because you know without getting graphic it's completely normal yeah yeah, I'm a, I'm a, yeah as far as i'm i'm a fully functional male <laughs> it still works but for there's nothing the quality and everything in there there's nothing in there right you know whereas probably when you sort of say you know when did i start thinking about you know becoming a father and, and starting parenthood if i'd known that earlier on yeah i could have done something about it you know becoming a father in my early 40s was never you know my life plan yeah ideally i would have liked it in my 30s you know i, I I would like to have been a much younger father, but you know, if, if I'd been given that care and treatment and that research was in place, yeah. you know, later on I've only recently learned now that you know, for any, for any couples or men that are having troubles conceiving, you know, if, if if you're still struggling after six months, you should go and see a specialist and have a sample or go and see a urologist. You know, yeah. we tried three years. And at not one point were we ever told to go down this avenue. So I sort of think where our journey took eight years, yeah, I could have found out in my 20s or early 30s. Could have been five. Or could have been five. Yeah. But, you know, when you sort of say about mental health, you know, dealing my whole 30s was stripped away by this journey. Yeah. And it has molded me into the sort of person I am today. You yeah. know, I could have probably dealt with it when I was a bit younger, but sort of dealing with it when you're kind of pushing 40 is, is quite a lot to come to terms with. Yeah, and, and I think I can see that entirely. It must be so 
I mean, it's, it's information, right? Largely, you know, what is the, yeah, if it's out there, why yeah. not share it? Yeah. And so the, the treatment that you had, is that like, um, is it more widely available now or is it still as No, it's not available. It's, it's it purely because they're, they're dealing with this, as said, Mr. John Ramsey, who, who, who sort of believes in it. And, and actually, bizarrely enough, the, because it's a hormonal treatment, I was basically put on two different types of medication. One of the medication they actually give to women uh, who've uh, been dealing with breast cancer because it's a hormonal treatment. So I'm being given this stuff. I'm purely just trusting what I'm being given. Yeah. You know, I didn't have any side effects in terms of negative. <laughs> I didn't suddenly, you know, have any issues like that. Growing you shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it probably helped my beard and all the rest of it. But in terms <laughs> of it, it shot my testosterone through the roof, where yeah. I said it went from zero to nothing. And even when I was going in to collect my prescriptions from, from pharmacies, you know, a, a lot of the pharmacists were like, are you aware of what this is? Yeah. And I was like, I'm fully aware. But yeah. I'm, you're just purely putting my faith in this, you know, in, in this uh, urologist. And, yeah. and he, he just did wonders. I mean, he, he changed our life. Without this guy, we wouldn't have a daughter today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the whole journey, I just, um, I've had to deal with the mental health side of it on my own because it wasn't available to me. Yeah. I probably would have had to have asked for it. Whereas when I was given the news, I should have probably been given the support straight away because it was a lot to deal with. Yeah. You know, my thirties to be told that, you know, I have this condition, I potentially may not be able to have children. Yeah. But also relaying that on to, I then had to then tell Chloe, yeah. by the way, I've just had a phone call from the doctors. Yeah. This is a condition. We may not be able to have children. And Chloe's the most maternal person you'll ever meet. She's great with anybody's kids, family's kids, yeah. friends, kids. Um, you know, and had to break that news to her just absolutely yeah. killed me. It was, that was probably one of the most difficult things I had to do to tell Chloe. I can imagine How just because the guilt that I felt, I had a lot of guilt, responsibility, responsibility. It was completely out of my hands. There's nothing I could do about it. Yeah. Um, and although she sort of said, "Oh, it's fine. We'll get through it." It, do, it doesn't. You know, it, it still sort of sends a shiver down my spine. Sort of thinking about it now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that probably you know subconsciously did have, you know, negative connotations throughout yeah. the whole of my 30s and with relationships and, and, you know. How was it for the two of you, kind of? The whole experience and journey. As in, in terms or, of your relationship, like managing that whole sort of dynamic. I, I can, I mean, in terms of going through IVF and ICSI, um, we talk about it now. I, I, I can completely understand how couples don't make it through. Yeah. It's probably one of the most difficult things that you could go through because it's it's a bit of a luck game. I think it's only I think the fact is that I think only one in three people are successful with mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, we went through uh, I think we had two miscarriages. Um, it actually took five attempts to be successful, and that was just the postcode lottery as well. Is that I know that in Bath, you, we've had friends of ours. You only get one chance on the NHS we had five yeah so that's purely because we were living in Brighton we didn't know that at the time until we started the journey yeah um, and funnily enough CC was born CC was our fifth attempt she was our last attempt wow so we Assisi for us is our miracle, miracle baby child, yeah. because she wasn't she wasn't meant to be you know yeah. she was that last one that was left in yeah. that petri dish you know she was just keeping you waiting. She was keeping us waiting. I mean, it's, it's, it's been well worth the wait. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I, I wouldn't have changed it for anything. But yeah, I mean, we, we, had, um, we had two miscarriages, um, one of which was twins, which, was, um, which uh, 
heavily impacted us, mm. I think. You know, we lost one of the twins early on, the other one um, came a lot later. But we built our whole life up. Because when you find out you're pregnant through IVF, it's such a long journey to get there. Then mm. you find out you're pregnant. And there's this sort of nervous game. I, I, I expect with a lot of people, if it's natural, there's the excitement. With the IVF, you don't have that. Because yeah. potentially you've had issues in the past or failed attempts. And you still think, is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the one? You is don't really believe it. Yeah. And you want to be able to tell family and celebrate the good news. But you kind of can't because you know that the rug could be pulled out from yeah. underneath you straight away. So, you know, we moved back to, moved back to Bath, um, you know, bought, bought, bought our house with the idea that we were expecting twins. Yeah. You know, so we bought a larger house, moved out of a, you know, sold our flat in Brighton, bought yeah. a house. Wow. Expecting a bigger family, twins, because then you start thinking about what buggy you're going to get, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, in terms of like, how are you going to manage the space and what car do you drive? How am I going to get all these kids? You know, I've got twins. Yeah. And then, yeah, unfortunately we, we, we lost them. So, yeah. um, it was our last attempt. Mm. And then, and then we had a CC. But through IVF, it's, it's, it's a very long journey because it's very, very tough for a woman because they have to go on medication, either injections or, 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 or tablets. It's, it's almost a whole cycle can almost take a year in itself yeah. because then you know, the body has to rest. You can't go straight into another cycle. Yeah. Um, and you're there as a guy. You're just there to support. So anything I was going through, going back to the mental health side of it, is that there was no release for me. Yeah. Because I couldn't, like we spoke about earlier, I couldn't show any weakness because Chloe was going through so much with her body and hormones and yeah. the loss and the miscarriages. Yeah. For myself, I couldn't feel like I could, you know, drop my guard. Because if, if I show weakness or if I um, let my emotions get in the way, then it will pull her down even more. It's another thing for her. So you to kind of felt like you needed to be the rock that didn't move. I had to, yeah, I had to be the rock. Yeah. You know, when we had the bad news, um, I had to be the rock for her, mm. which then meant, you know, later on down the line that heavily impacted me because I know a lot of work you do. There, there was nobody for me to talk to. Yeah. None of my friends were going through it. All my friends had children. Had family. We were almost the last, you know, last people to have children. Yeah. You know, both Chloe's sisters, Chloe's the eldest, both her sister, sisters had two kids. Yeah. You know, we, when we, this whole journey, we've, we've seen friends and family have children, yeah, babies, been around them. And that, that was really difficult in itself is that... Because you're kind of through it all in the background, right? You feel like life's rubbing your face in it. Yeah. You know, and, and you end up resenting people. And we both, although Chloe probably wouldn't air it, we would speak about it a lot. We would come away from birthday parties and family occasions and feel just quite bitter and yeah. twisted about it because of the um, injustice of it. And, yeah. You know. And the thing is, I suppose... You, um, it's almost like a bitterness that you can't quash. I presume no. I've not no. not been through that, but it's like something that you can't not feel. And you, I imagine, it almost feels worse for the fact that you're feeling it towards people that you love and care for. Absolutely, right? and that's the key thing as well. You know, and, and even with Chloe's family, that was really tough mm. because they're going through it as well. You know, they they're seeing Chloe be upset and go through miscarriages and all the rest of it but they're going through their battles but 
unless you're really in it, you can't understand. Yeah. You know, people sort of say, you know, we, we, you know, we, we went along with, with that journey with you as well. But nobody would understand unless you've been through that journey. Yeah. Um, and you can't explain it to anybody. Even now, I could never really explain what it feels like to go through it. No. But you do, you know, you, you know when Chloe's sisters were having children, you know, you're really happy for them. But also you feel a real bitterness as well. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, you feel guilty for feeling that because yeah. you want to be really happy for them. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, why not us? And I think it's perfectly human to feel that, right? The fact that I haven't been through it and yet I can sort of, you can sort of process how it might go through and that sense of like, the sense of disappointment and not being able to kind of, just for the fact that as as people you care about others, mm. it's like, I guess the fact you want to be parents suggests that you want to care for other people. Mm. It's not like we're heartless, we're absolutely mm. not. So it's, you know, it's perfectly normal that you would feel this whole wave of emotions and I don't know, I imagine it's quite isolating as well in terms of friends and family. There are things you want to talk about, but there are also things that you're like, if I share them, what does it do? Or, you know, how do you do that? Or mm. did you do that, I suppose? Did you find it that you could talk to friends about it or not? Or in family? terms of sharing our experience, yeah. not so much because it's, it's such a unique experience to go through. Mm. For me personally, I knew that nobody would really understand what it's like. Mm. Um, so what I felt quite isolated, I know that Chloe would speak to her family, but at the same time she would have to censor what she would talk to them about because she wouldn't want to upset them because yeah. she knew that they were going through the hardships because they're worried about her. Yeah. So she then didn't want to burden her problems with them, but also it's almost just a lack of understanding, you know, and that's, that's no fault of them, yeah. but you just can't understand what it's like. And also, especially with Chloe, she's, you know, you have to take hormonal treatments to get your body right. So, you know, your, your emotions are up and down. And, you know, yeah. even, even like you said about Chloe and I's relationship, there's, there's times where, you know, she would almost be a different person because of this whole kind of experience. Yeah. So I'm kind of sort of, you're kind of having to manage so many different scenarios where she could be really tired or really upset or really anxious or because there's all these things that are being pumped into her body. It's completely out of her control. Yeah. It's a forced, you're forcing somebody to become pregnant where it's not a natural yeah. scenario. And you tie that into work life and you're trying to keep a normal home and go off to work every day. And, and it's, it's very, you know you, you know, you leave the house some mornings and you've had, had some terrible news or Chloe's just, we've got another round of IVF coming on. It's just playing in the back of your mind. Yeah, so. yeah. And that's it, you're trying to live this kind of faced exterior. Of yeah. Everything's okay, we're okay, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, you, you can't necessarily, don't want to or don't feel like you can bring people into that journey that you're going on. And quite rightly, I completely understand that you would or wouldn't, but there, there's a natural tendency to kind of keep it to yourselves. And at the same time, you know, you're going through it all in the background. And when you think, you know, when we put it into context of the fact that it's an eight-year journey... Who would put themselves under eight years of stress and mental strain? If you think about that in any other work capacity or relationship, you know, social engagements, kind of work commitments, it, it's, an, it's a wonder really that people kind of, how you do survive it. And I suppose, you know, we're human and we're built to kind of deal with adversity 
to some extent. But when you think about the longevity of it and you put it into that kind of context, eight years is a, well, 25% of your life almost. Yeah, right? oh, it's, it's like, you know, I think you say about eight years and the amount of things that go on during eight years for normal people, you know, different jobs you've had and that houses you've lived in or, or occasions, birthdays, Christmases. Yeah. It was, there was a lot of occasions where it was just in our face the whole time. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think I came out of it still holding to that sort of bitterness. Yeah. Even, even once the CC was born, once our daughter was born, where I didn't know who I was anymore. Mm. From a whole of my 30s, I'd become quite thick-skinned and I was so used to good news, bad news, but real lows. Yeah. And I sort of went into my 40s thinking, I don't know who I am. I've, I've almost, you've built up this new personality and I don't know, I would, I would look at old photos of myself as though I'm looking at a different person. Because yeah. I just couldn't recognise this. But why is this person so happy? And he doesn't look like he's got a care in the world. And, yeah. you know, you've just been through all of this thing. And I think only now am I sort of coming to terms with, you know, being a better person again. Yeah. Because, you know, I did go through phases of just pushing people away because I just sort of thought, you know, you don't understand what I'm going through. Yeah. And I don't want to be fixed. Yeah, you know, I want I want to deal with this sorrow and and, and I don't know how to deal with it. There's a lot of just confusion. I, I don't. I'm still sort of coming to terms with a lot of it now. And yeah. you know, for myself, I think there's a lot of bridges I've got to mend. Yeah, um, none of it's ever intentional with all this not. sort of thing. Whether it's Chloe on the medication, but me as a guy, I wasn't on that so much. You know, I had more. You know, uh, it's just a lack of control. I think with the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to be a bitter person or feel angry towards people, but you're just, you become that person. Yeah. You know? And there's a sort of, I suppose there's a self-preservation to it, right? There's yeah. just like my, presumably your sole focus becomes that. And, you know, on the outside, you're trying to keep face with all the other things that you would normally do, but really they're kind of dwindling into insignificance really. And you're just, your brain is kind of focused on that so I suppose when you think about talking about whether people sort of try and fix you and those kind of things it's like I just presumably you don't have the capacity for that kind of thing it's like you can't fix me so it's almost like stay away from me just give me space Mm. and I'll but in the meantime what that means is you say over that long period of time then when you come back to saying phew we've had a baby now this is amazing we got everything we wanted I have now got to process eight years worth of emotions to kind of find a new space that says this is who I am as Alex or however and and saying this is what I see myself as and what I want to identify as going forward rather than and I suppose grieve that period of your life to some extent I think you've nailed it I mean I know I spoke to you recently about you know the pandemic lockdown has been amazing for me because it's helped me face it, which I probably wouldn't have done. You know, I'm so used to just carrying on with things and not dealing with the grief. You know, I I think, I believe that Chloe was able to deal with a lot of it. I think once our daughter was born, a lot of that was it for Chloe. You know, everything we'd worked for for eight years, this was the success at the end of it. Yeah. And she was able to talk to people. She had family close to her that she could talk to. I think for myself, once our daughter was born, I said, I, I would also think that our daughter's born, 
we've succeeded this is everything now but exactly what you said is that I'm now dealing with the last eight years and I can't just forget about it I still think about you know the twins we lost yeah um I'll never forget them not not that I want to dwell it's not a case of wanting to dwell on the pain and sorrow it's um I have to uh figure it out in my head find a peace with it find find peace with it Mm. exactly um and and sort of start my life yeah um but i don't i think i think the key thing is 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 would be that aftercare as well i think a lot of people think well if your aim is to get from a to b and once you're at b you're fine now yeah there's loads that goes on in between yeah and i think you need that aftercare you know post to kind of help you manage it afterwards yeah yeah. i said i didn't expect it's only really been it was actually after a CC where it really hit me. Yeah. I expected that, you know, our daughters come along. We've done it. This yeah. is it now, the relief. And it was like that yeah. for a little while. And then all of a sudden I felt like I was becoming very inward. Yeah. And, and this sort of dark cloud. And I guess, you know, I know I mentioned to you this sort of slight case of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Well, that's really common like yeah. I think like yeah. the more guys I've spoken to is most of the work I've done has been with men but post-traumatic stress is a huge part of birth and children yeah. and like whether it be the emotional side of it or the physical side of birth and yeah. that sort of trauma um, and it's kind of largely I wouldn't say it's ignored but it's certainly not kind of an immediate thing that you go to I don't know about you but my perception of post-traumatic stress is like if I haven't come out of a war zone then I'm not going to get post That's what I thought it stress, was. Right? Yeah. If I hadn't had bombs going off around me and, and, and you know, gunfire, I mean, that's what post-traumatic stress is to me. Yeah. But, yeah, it's trauma. Yeah. And it doesn't matter in what, you know, capacity that's come to, trauma. Yeah. Trauma is, can, be, it can be anything. But I, I 100%, although, you know, I may not have been diagnosed or I've not seen see a specialist, but I'm sure if you were to sit down with me and probably dig a bit deeper... Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's still kind of a, a dark, yeah. there's this darkness. I can't really describe it because I've not spoken to anybody about it. But there's yeah. this element that's just still there that I can't. I want to be at peace with everything. I want, you know, with, with, with my family and my daughter. But there's still this shadow yeah. that I can't seem to shake off. I think you, I suppose, you, with all these kind of things, you do, you come to find a way of living with it, don't you? Yes, yeah. And then now you've reached that point, presumably, where you're saying, I don't know, I, I don't want to live with it anymore. No, I want no. to put it to bed yeah, and yeah, move on, you know. Yeah. And, um, and I think for a lot of people, the alternative is that you just carry on living with it. But actually, there's a better version of yourself in there yeah. somewhere that says not necessarily of you but of oneself that says if we do have these dark clouds then they're better to kind of talk about find the vulnerability and find the holes in them and then find a way of comfortably parking them somewhere that says that happened mm. and i'm not going to deny it mm. happened but i am able to kind of live alongside it in a way where it doesn't affect me in a day to day and i think that's a real challenge and it speaks of bravery and courage and all those things that we're we mentioned it a little bit earlier before we came on, but it is that sense of vulnerability and courage to face those things. Often, you know, our brains are very clever, aren't they? The whole point of them is that they're designed to keep you alive. It's protection Nothing else, well. right? It's survival, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, what you're, <clears throat> that's what you're encouraged to do is survive. And if survival means parking it and being 
less sociable and uh, then okay you could do that and you could live your life out doing that alternatively <clears throat> excuse me you could have the courage and you could have the the strength to kind of face off to it and say okay well I'm willing to delve in and try and work out what it looks like I think it's but, also that fear where if if I face this if I face the monster if I if I decide to go down that path what else is it going to kick up yeah you know are there other things that are there that I don't want to go to and there's yeah. always this you know the this the unknowing you know I it's easier to control it and bury it which is what I've sort of been drilled into me and I've I've sort of done my whole life yeah but all of a sudden I'm now come to terms with right I'm gonna deal with this I'm gonna talk to people whether it's friends or family or yeah you know maybe I go and sort of seek other help but it's um what's going to come out of it yeah you know i i know you know i know why i feel like it'll feel because it's easier for me to say it's because of you know ivf see whatever whatever you know my condition that but is, is there other stuff as well yeah, yeah. I, is there panda am i going to open up a can of worms and other stuff's going to come out yeah you know which which is quite scary i think that's where the bravery and the courage comes into it really for me is that you know your our mind is a really complex thing yeah. and, and the minute you kind of while we're in control of it, and let's be honest, as a society, we're more obsessed with control than we've ever been. Yeah, yeah. While we are in control of it, then it's much easier to handle. And the minute you sort of choose to open that can of worms, it might be that for a while you might be out of control. Who mm. knows? I think that is that is one of the terrifying things about it. So it's kind of better the devil you know. You know, course, it's like, yeah. like I can yeah, I can yeah. keep my eyes on this. I know what I've got, but what will that throw up? Yeah. And I think the the thing that I've learned, I suppose, through you know, counselling, we've said before, I was, you know, it was a dirty word to me until I was probably early 30s myself, mm. really, late 20s. And um, I think what I came to recognise in it is that actually why I stay mentally fit in the same way as I stay physically fit, but counselling is there to help. And I'm not saying that that's the only solution, mm. but it is like a, a channel for us to be able to face the difficult things. But my own personal experience of it is that those things that I never, ever thought I'd be able to talk about, I've actually come away from all of them being like, what was I so afraid of? You know, like, I mean, ultimately what I was afraid of was the unknown. Mm. Like it, it, as you've just pointed out there, it's like, what will Pandora's box look yeah. like? Yeah. But I've personally yet to experience one where I open it and go, all right, that's way worse than I thought it was going to be. How do I close this quickly? Yeah. It's often been like, yes, I'm terrified of it now, but you know, the the benefit is as far outweighed the the downsides. And I think that's you know, professionals are, are great at kind of helping those navigate those kind of things. But it is scary and it is it is controlled, isn't it? Largely for a lot of us. Um, yeah. How is it being a father now? Assisi's oh, coming up two now. Yes, I know uh, that well. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to remember birthday. Yeah. Um, well, so we can share birthdays. Mm. Um, oh, it's absolutely it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, it just it just changes you <clears throat> completely. It's it's literally like a switch that goes off. Yeah. As soon as she was born, it's just nothing else mattered. Um, you know, she has brought so. I mean, she's changed me for the better. She's softened me. I'm just a big softy around a proper sort of, you know, daddy daughter relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, all the things that I used to think were important just aren't as important anymore. Yeah. You know, all, all the all the kind of uh, you know little hang ups you might have had in your twenties and thirties, all, all all the you know 
things that you you thought you need to focus on it's it's just all the focus on her now and yeah. I absolutely love it and and whether that's the case of being an older dad yeah. I'm not too sure you know whether I appreciate it more or maybe I do I appreciate it more because of everything we went through there's possibly that as well you know yeah. I know how important she is you know um to us anyway um yeah I mean it's absolutely magical I mean just just seeing I think probably for the first six months I felt like a spare part like you know I don't really know what what I'm doing here because she's not attached to me I can't do all these things that mum can do yeah yeah but I think she's now at that sort of uh I think that's sort of eight months plus I think as a dad that's all of a sudden where all the fun kicks in and yeah, yeah. she wants to be around you and she gets something from you and you start communicating and, and yeah. they're just sponges I mean it's just amazing I mean, you saw earlier yeah. how much they pick up yeah you know this is definitely the fun time now yeah well they start to build their own little personality don't yeah. they and like test you and push boundaries and all those kind yeah. of things which is fun and challenging all at the same time I guess um but yeah, it's interesting you say about that first six months and I think we oft, I've often come across that in the work I've done with dads and that, that period, especially with when breastfeeding's working and yeah. that's going well, yeah. how weird that, how was that dynamic for you? Because those, that period is often, um, can be really isolating because you're going from two to three, right? Two's an even number. Yeah. What do they say? Three's a, two's a company, three's a crowd yeah. kind of yeah. thing. Um, obviously not a crowd when you've got a child but it is a different dynamic in terms of you know you you kind of get you get moved in different directions and your identities change a bit don't they as as a couple as such how did you guys find that because I suppose you built up to that for so long yeah yeah we had now I guess I didn't go into it with too much too many expectations but it is it was it was just you know mother and child for that first sort of six months which which can be very isolating because I guess I was expecting a lot more from it, like she'd need and want more from me, but they, they don't really need much from you at all. And I, I think, I mean, I was at, at peace with that quite early on. I'd imagine it must be quite difficult to handle. I've spoken to new fathers since and they found it really isolating. But then this goes back to what we're saying before in terms of being open, talking to people about it. Because yeah. it's not until you talk to someone about it is they're like, actually, I've felt exactly the same. Yeah. You know, whereas I think if you're in the, in the thick of it, um, it would feel very isolating and you're on your own and, you know, my wife or girlfriend or partner doesn't need anything from me. Yeah. The baby doesn't need anything from me. So what am I doing? Is this is this how it's going to be? Yeah. But everybody I've spoken to, and even from my experience, there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's not, actually not for very long because the time flies by so quickly anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they do just want, you know, you're going to be hearing daddy a yeah, lot yeah. <laughs> you know I, I <laughs> shouting through the house yeah um but no it is very isolating you know because they're just attached to mum yeah for a long period of time and mum doesn't mean much from you yeah you know and baby you know it's not i think you also have to think about your relationship with your partner as well i mean that that's really challenging because all of a sudden they don't need much from you either yeah you know their sole focus is on the baby yeah and you're sort of thinking, well, how am I, what, what do I bring to the table? Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing here. Am I, you know, I'll just... What's my purpose? What's my purpose here? Yeah, yeah. I can't feed her. I can't really put her off to sleep. She just wants, wants you, wants the smell of you. Yeah. You know, I might hold her. And you just got to enjoy those little moments, yeah. you know. Um, and it won't, it won't last. It doesn't, does it? No, it I mean, really that, doesn't. That, that's the crazy thing. But I think the, the thing that I've always thought with parenthood is that when you're in something 
you know, I distinctly remember when I when Will was born at first, and um, when he w- he wasn't walking, and all his peers around him from our <clears throat> NCT group and those kind of things, they're all walking. I'm thinking, come on, kiddo, you know, get on your feet, let's have a little go. You know, all the other kids are, and it, it felt like the oppression of it felt like a real pressure to kind of come on, come on, come on, you've got to walk. And at the time, it felt like months. Like, it, it genuinely... Yeah, yeah. I felt like it went on for three months, yeah. four months. When I looked back, after you started walking, I realised it was about three weeks. <clears throat> but it felt so much longer, and it felt so much more intense. And it, it sort of speaks of that period of, like... Uh, you get kind of bogged down in kind of what they can do, what they can't do, and, and what, what your purpose is in that, and how, how can you help them kind of thing. Whereas, actually... I mean, I guess it should be evident right from the minute they come out and they go, right, where, where's the food? Yeah. I'm straight up yeah. for the food and they yeah. know where to go. And it's like, how do you... I mean, that always blows my mind to think for nine months you've been inside a womb, like tucked away, and then all of a sudden you come out and go, it's just up there, mate, on the left. <laughs> Follow that nipple. That's where I'm going kind of thing. And it's, it's crazy. And I, and I suppose it's sort of having that faith that nature nature can and once you get to that point nature can get you to that stage and the kids are they're so adept at kind of finding their way and we are built to kind of survive in many ways um i think also because you, you've got that nine months this build-up of the babies coming yeah and you almost expect him or her to pop out and be like oh you need me now yeah i'm here that's yeah, here. yeah oh no you still don't need me yeah and so okay so how long is this going to go on yeah. for because you've been there for nine months <laughs> when cooking. do you need at me, what yeah. point is, is daddy going to play his part in this yeah, yeah um but i think also you know chloe and i talk about it quite a lot is that i think there's a lot of uh, pressure that maybe you put upon yourself um or for other people in, in, in how to be a parent yeah. as well you should do this and this should happen then. Yeah. And at this age, they'll be doing this or they, they should eat like that or they should. I think even sleeping as well, you know, the whole. So you, I mean, all of you say is probably, you know, going through our long journey, but also probably being a little bit older um, at becoming parents is that you've just got to do what works for you. Yeah. And people who say to us, but it's so true. Yeah. So many people will put there this worked for us it's like we're, we're all as humans we're all just completely different yeah you know what might work for you and it doesn't work for me it's no different when you're a baby it's like you know yeah you have to have some guidelines but you know i think as a new mum and i saw it with chloe as well is that she would listen to a lot about whether it's on forums she had gone to forums as like my daughter's not my my baby's not doing this it should be doing that yeah or you know it should be eating this or it should be feeding then or should be sleeping then and it's it's all just bs because it's it doesn't mean anything you've got to do what works for you yeah because you can become so bogged down with all that and become you know it can be sort of i think quite mentally you know damaging for you yeah totally i mean like social media and those kind of things you know and google is you know the whole Google Doctor thing, like yeah, we've, yeah, we've had a few, quite a few things going on medically with both our kids over mm. time, and um, it's really difficult to not Google it. You, oh, know, you see, you see yeah, a rash, yeah. and you think, I'm just going to check yeah. that. I just, you know, I've got this resource yeah. available to me. Whereas in years gone by, you wouldn't have had that. No. You'd have been going to a doctor or yeah. a hospital, and that would have been it. And you'd have had the the voice of a doctor to kind of reason with. Um, 
but it is you know I think the unfortunate thing is that it kind of it has the potential unless we're vigilant with it it has the potential to kind of take you away from the relationship with your kids mm. that you mm. you know ultimately that's they, they go on your cues right they want your and if you're anxious or stressed or the sleep thing I, I've always found that with trying to get them to sleep and you're like when you're stressed or when you're trying to go out that's a classic right every every sort of parent kind of has that right we're going out so we're just going to put you down to sleep and then we can go out because granny's here to kind of look after you it's like they have this sort of inner sense of like i know you're leaving so i'm not going to sleep and i'll be honest that's uh, the reality of that is that's not them that's you it's like all the kind of emotions and the things that are going on in your brain you know somehow they can magically pick them up and realize that oh, i can sense your stress is pretty high right now because you've got 10 minutes to get out of the door um it's that real given they they they're led by you yeah. aren't they and so i think having that sense of um it's kind of training ourselves to relax and removing those components as much as we can to kind of we'll practice self-care as much as anything else but it's so it does have benefits for us of course it does but it also knocks onto them in the long run you know and you don't they don't pick up the same thing. Yeah, you've got to let it go a bit, especially with the sleep. I mean, yeah, you, there's, there's prompts and little things you can do to help it along its way. Mm. But you're basically trying to tell a little thing that doesn't know any better, sleep now. Yeah. Like you're a magician or you're going to hypnotize them <laughs> and they bang, they're down. Just yeah. Doesn't, just doesn't happen. Yeah, there's things you can help. Yeah. But it's not, it's so easy to say if you've come out the other side of it. Yeah. As a new parent, I remember you just caught in the thick of it. It's, it's just not to become too stressed with it. Yeah. You know, because you get stressed and they 100% pick up on it, even if, even when they're little babies. You know, they, they, they whether I don't know how they know, but they, they, they pick up on it. And yeah. all of a sudden you can see they pick up on it. Even, even with, you know, with the CC now, you know, and she's sort of, you know, 20, 20 months old is that, you know, if if we raise our, you know, we close enough, we raise our voices around each other. All of a sudden, her ears prick up, like what something different's happening. What what what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's amazing. And then I have to stop myself. <clears throat> I have to take a check and go. Hold on, something. This isn't this isn't good. Yeah, like, yeah. I need to sort of take check. You know, or yeah. even even you know, it's it's really testing. You know, Cece's at that age. She's almost getting to that terrible twos. I think if anything, she might have hit a little bit early. Yeah, yeah. Because she's quite switched on and knows what she wants. But you know, it's you have to remember they're so young they don't know any better yeah yeah and you know my 40 odd years of of of, of anxieties and work stresses or whatever i'm trying to sort of portray that onto her she hasn't got a clue she's not been through life and i'm trying to sort of control this little thing yeah doesn't know yeah you know and you kind of had somebody recently said to me about kind of modeling modeling not what you know but what you want to be Uh, yeah um and that's something that's sort of really stuck out for me recently in, in that, and especially through the pandemic, it's like, how would I want this to be handled mm. if I was growing up, you mm. know, because I, I've been constantly amazed by the kind of the things that kids pick up on and the amount of subtle things that, that, that they've not had exposure to. Yeah. And then actually seeing people, uh, we've been out in parks and, um, you know, when when we've been out in supermarkets and those kind of things, some of the things that certainly Wilbur's said to me, not necessarily Mimi, she's not old enough to really be saying much at all, but some of the things that they come out with and the way, you know, when we've been, the first time we went to a park, I remember kind of the way he 
he kind of his reaction to there was somebody on a slide it was already a I think it was a little boy and his dad there or something and I said should we go on the slide and he said no daddy we can't because there's people there and I think actually when I put that into context at that point you were like just turned five like the next year of your life is going to be like this and you're you've kind of had to get used to it you know and so it is being kind to both yourself and Mm. them in terms of I'm 40 years old and I've Mm. got the capacity to sort of be able to recognize that this won't last forever and we can move on and soon enough that guy will be allowed to go on the slide at the same time but for them it's like well, yesterday you told me one thing, today you're telling me another thing. I take it at face value. That's yeah. what you give me is that people aren't good right now. Like I can't be around people. Um, and it's the same with all these other things. It's like, because we just do them instinctively, they just pick them up as a habit, but we're not actually, we don't need to say it or vocalize it. It's our body language, our behaviors and all that. And they, they kind of get all of that from you whether you mean to or not, mm. you know, that's, that's the challenge. It's amazing how in, impactful we can be on them. Cause I say in terms of being sponges, they are literally sponges. Yeah. You know, they did just the amount of times they'll, you know, see you or, or mimic me or, or, or do something. I think right, you've, you've only got that from me Yeah. or, or your mum. So it's, it's quite scary because you, 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 it's quite a control that you've got over a little person in yeah. terms of how you can shape and mold them for the future. Yeah. And I do have to remind myself sometimes that, you know, you want to be the best, dad or parent you can be yeah but you know you, you can do an amazing thing with that little person yeah um you know in terms of shaping them for the future yeah uh, positively you know rather than rather than negatively and we'll never get it right right oh, that's, no, that's the thing no. you can't get it perfectly right you just do the best you can do and at the same time be willing and open to kind of accept criticism when it comes from them because yeah. it's like fair enough i will make mistakes that's kind of what i'm human i should yeah. do yeah um but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's a complicated thing. And if you overthink it, as you say, like you overthink it and it creates all sorts of problems. Yeah. Doesn't it? But how do you, how do you guys, are you, um, are you, how are you finding being back at work now? Because presumably you are back at work. Yeah, back at work. So, I mean, I was throughout this whole sort of year, two years, I was sort of furloughed, then part furloughed, then fully back at work. So, you know, I think it's probably the same thing is this, that, I mean, I know a lot of people have struggled with the last year, 18 months. I mean, I found it fantastic to be a, a new father. I mean, Cece would have only been sort of six months or so yeah. when we went into this situation. But, you know, the, the amount of time I've had to spend with her yeah. uh, one-on-one and also as parents is just... I, I, I personally, I think she sort of would have flourished from it because she just wouldn't have had that in a, in a normal yeah. scenario. Um, and also just that bond that I've been able to get with her. I just don't think that would have happened before. And I feel that she's my proper little partner in crime at the moment. You know, I, I just sort of feel that if if things had been normal or as they were, I would never have had that. You know, I've, I've, I've had you know long periods of time with her and, you know, I always get my, you know, I'll have one day a week where it's just the two of us where we can actually bond. And, that, and that's why I was saying, going back to you know, in those first six months, it's tough because you don't get those moments where they don't, they might want to be held, but they actually prefer to be with the mum. And now, you know, I I get those full days or, you know, with her. And it's been absolutely amazing because I see that, you know, that I I can, when Chloe isn't around, I can add my little bit to her shape in terms of whether it's teaching a new, trying to teach her new words or new skills (laughs) or whatever, you know, that's my sort of input, you know. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, taking off to the park and, uh, you know, 
you are literally seeing life through their eyes you know things that you might have missed in life or taken for granted yeah she just kind of wakes me up in terms of like wow actually these things are great yeah it's it's, it's a magic it's a magical thing without it sounds a bit sort of softy and you know it you is, said she made you soft so you can be yeah no, no like. she, it does make you soft I mean the things that you didn't appreciate before you appreciate now I mean I probably wouldn't have aside from the lockdown thing I probably wouldn't have wanted to go to the park as much as I would or you know yeah. I get excited about seeing a train <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm the one that's now waving to train drivers. And yeah. What am I doing? The CC isn't even Setting here. Setting a good example, Alex. <laughs> that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I think if there's anything. You know, all these things, uh, like coronavirus, has obviously been tragic in many ways. But there are some positives to come out of it, and I, that's how I kind of view the last year. Is that if we can't take the positives from it, then it's a really sad situation yeah. to not be able to do that. And I think, obviously, things have. It's been a really long journey for you guys, but I think if there's any silver lining, it's that Assisi is now here, and also you've had that opportunity that you would never have got, right? Yeah. So, um, and it's not a bonus, you know. After going eight years of trying, and then Assisi comes along, all of a sudden we're in a pandemic where I've got to spend a year and a half or, yeah. or whatever with her. Yeah, I mean, you just couldn't have written that. No, and you couldn't have, you know. There's there's no work environment that would have no. given you that opportunity or the chance to do that. So, yeah, I think it's a. Uh, Take the take. The, you've got to look at the positives in, in these things, haven't you? Even and yeah, and also, I think anybody sort of you know listening to this or going on that journey is is not to take that first opinion, and it's just to keep trying. Whether yeah. you're going through any sort of IVF treatment or fertility treatment, is not to take that first professional advice that you get given yeah. because we we were pretty much written off. Yeah, and I know loads of people that have had that advice and have just ended. Yeah. Or, you know, given up trying. And it's, there are so many more possibilities out there than people are even aware of. Yeah. And just to keep pursuing it because, you know, we are a success story. You know, yeah. a lot of people wouldn't have gone eight years and kept trying. Yeah. You know, you, deep down you believe that it's going to happen. You hope it's going to happen. But, yeah. You know, we, we were written off, you know, and if we lived anywhere else, that would have been it. We would never have had a child. Well, I think it's an amazing story, a testament to both of you that you've kind of been as courageous and as strong as you've been to get this far and all credit to you for making it through. And, um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Thank yeah, you for thanks, coming Andy. on. Yeah, thanks, really appreciate it's been, chatting. It's been a very enjoyable chat. So, um, But yeah, I will, uh, if there's any links or any details we can share with other people, then I'll post them on the podcast uh, in the notes. So if anybody kind of is going through a similar situation, then I can happily share those with you. But until next time, I will say thank you to Alex for joining us today. And um, yeah, we'll speak soon. Thank you. that's it for this week's born human podcast i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did a huge thank you to alex bailey for sharing what is ultimately a very personal and intimate story of his journey to becoming a father i hope that you guys are able to take away as much as i am from that in that there is hope that persistence can pay off that We are human and we are built to be resilient and to fight challenges and find our way through things. And they are an inspiring story of how that can be a reality. 
it's not without its challenges of course and I guess the thing to keep in context is the fact that everyone's journey in parenthood is unique and that situation won't necessarily result in the positive outcome for everyone but perseverance has its part to play and it's always worth trying. I hope it's given you some perspective on how friends, family, colleagues may or may not be feeling or things they may be going through. We don't always know what goes on behind closed doors for people and I think it's important when this podcast recognises that that quite often there is a lot of things going on behind closed doors that we aren't aware of. But thank you again to Alex for joining us today. It was an incredible, incredible podcast for me. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please subscribe, share, like, do all that good stuff and we'll catch you next time.